Welcome to episode five of the Women's Wisdom, Our Journey in Emergency Medicine, a production of the Women in Emergency Medicine section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Dr. Adria Adabani interviews Drs. Eileen Claudius and Mimi Liu on their journey through emergency medicine. We're back for another episode of the Women in Emergency Medicine podcast for AAEM 2019 in Vegas. I have with me here today Drs. Claudius and Liu. Dr. Claudius is an attending at Harbor UCLA Medical Center in Torrance, California. She graduated from the UCLA Combined Residency Program in Emergency Medicine and Pediatrics. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband and four children. Dr. Liu uh, is Director of Pediatric Emergency Medicine Education for the University of Maryland um, within the Department of Emergency Medicine. She's a fellowship-trained pediatric emergency physician and a graduate of ASEP's Teaching Fellowship. She is the proud recipient of AAEM's Young Educator Award and ASEP's Junior Faculty Teaching Award. Thank you both of you for coming today. Thank you for having us. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about some of the hurdles that you might have had to overcome to get to where you are in your career today. And do you feel like any of those hurdles had to do with being a female emergency medicine physician or is it completely separate from that? I think I've been really fortunate in my emergency medicine career. I had amazing mentors very early on who have helped guide me and and help me to become not only the physician but the educator that I am today. So I don't it was both male and female mentors. I, I didn't feel that there was any barriers in that capacity for me just because I was a female. But I also acknowledge that's not necessarily a common thing. I think the way that you asked the question, what barriers have we overcome, makes it more challenging for me to answer because I don't know that I've necessarily overcome some of the biggest barriers. I'm still working on it, to be honest with you. I would say for me, when I think about things that are related to, I guess, being a woman or possibly just being somebody who has a family in emergency medicine, one of the biggest barriers for me was having to come to grips with the reality that I'm not going to do everything as well as I once was able to do emergency medicine. So when you start out, if you're lucky enough to start out without a lot of other commitments, you're probably really, really good at emergency medicine and keeping up with the literature and scoring well on boards exams and doing all of the stuff that we measure our worth by. And then once you start incorporating all the other responsibilities in life, you're going to be bad at something every single day, or at least suboptimal. Sometimes I'm bad at everything every day. And that's a little bit hard to come to grips with on a daily basis. It's a constant struggle. And, and you, you try and find the things that, not, I try to redefine it, not am I good at it or am I bad at it? It's like, what still brings me joy? And that's where I try and need to fo- I try to focus my time on, those things that I really enjoy. And that's been a constant evolution ever since really graduating med school even. Did you have any really helpful mentors or people that helped guide you through your career early on that helped get you to where you are today? 
anyone that you and maybe there wasn't you know maybe you forged this path really without too much um in the way of mentorship but was there anyone that you feel like helped you get to where you are today that without their assistance there's no way that you would have made it to where you are or was it pretty smooth sailing you didn't really need anyone to guide you how important is it to have a mentor or is it not important at all for me, it was absolutely imperative. I, I was fortunate enough to have Amal Matu as my program director and Ghazala Sharif as a mentor and friend, really, that have both guided me through AAM and the shared interests of, of education and really kind of bringing something that I had to offer to the table. And they saw that early on in me and, and any potential and really helped to encourage that or always looking out for opportunities for me where they could pitch my name. And, and that has absolutely been an integral part of, of where I've of what I've been able to do now at this point yeah I was lucky Maureen McCullough was one of my advisors when I was in residency and that was wonderful where I work now Harbor is incredibly supportive I get to work with Marianne Gaucher a lot of people that are mentors and just models of how you want to be as a physician a speaker an academic you guys are obviously both very busy with your academic careers and your real life's outside of the work. How do you balance your work life and your life outside of work, assuming you have a life outside of work? Or is there no balance? Is it just crazy all the time? I've just come to accept the fact there's no balance. It's really hard to balance work, the academic side, the shifts, family, friendships, significant others. It's unreasonable to expect that to be in balance all the time. I was working with a friend the other day and she's just such a lovely person and very friendly and social. And we were talking about exactly this topic. And she looked at me and said, Eileen, I've just come to grips with the fact that I don't have any friends anymore. <laughs> I meet one of our colleagues for coffee every two weeks in the cafeteria. And that's my social life. And this is someone who I mean, everybody loves her. You know, obviously it has nothing to do with her, but Sometimes you do feel, especially if you happen to have young children thrown into the mix, something really has to give. It is hard to keep everything in balance. A lot of times we talk about balancing sort of the clinical aspects of care, the academic, meaning, you know, for University of Maryland, it's, it's promotions through publications, the educational part. I do a lot of administrative stuff as well. And really, I came to grips very early on with I, I just wasn't going to publish because that took up way too much time for me. I knew that it takes me a ton of time to write and to think about writing, so I completely removed that, and for one, I'm much happier about it, but it, two, it also means that I won't get promoted at my institution, and I know this, but it's kind of, what are you willing to give up, and, and going back to what, what makes me happy, what am I willing to spend my time on? It's family, I do have one friend, or at least I think they're still my friend, um, and doing fun things. Traveling is, is my hobby. We went to Chicago a couple weeks ago to see Hamilton. We brought the kids, we made it a family thing, saw some of my great friends from medical school. It, those are the things that still get me excited. It means that I cram my schedule the rest of the time and I live by Google Calendar, but it helps me keep balance and insanity. Is there anything that you wish you hadn't done? Anything in your medicine career that if you could go back and just edit it out, if you could just airbrush it away, is there anything that you did that you wish you hadn't done? Any advice for your younger self? Or is it all of a piece and you pull on a thread and the whole thing comes unraveled? That's a great and a fair question, but I think that's a hard one because I think all the, the things that I've done for better, for worse, the failures, the successes really helped shape who I am today. 
I, I took a little longer to get through college. I did a fifth year and studied abroad. I spent a year in Sweden and spent a couple of years doing research after that before I ever got into medical school. And some may consider that a delay in getting in, but I, I consider that part of my personality now. I mean, who loves ABBA more than me? For me, I think that one thing that I might have done different in my career, I've been very fortunate. I've been in a lot of wonderful work situations with wonderful leadership. There was one point in time that I found myself in a very toxic situation at work, and I internalized it, as many of us do, and assumed that it was me and my failing that I had gotten into this toxic situation. I believe that probably there was a role on both sides, but I do know that I, in retrospect, would have gotten out of that toxic situation much sooner than I did had I had the insight that I now have about appropriate treatment in the workplace. Do you think that just in the time that you've been practicing emergency medicine that gender bias has changed? Do you feel like there's less gender bias out there than there was even, say, like when you started medical school? Have you actually noticed a change for the better? I haven't. And that makes me deeply sad. I have a lot of friends in the entertainment industry. Obviously, I'm from Los Angeles. And with this whole Me Too movement, I've had opportunities to talk to many friends who work in different facets of entertainment from the technical side, the acting side, the producing side. And they feel like they have seen a huge change even over the last few years. And while I appreciate the steps that have been taken in that field to sort of lead us to a better workplace in other arenas, I frankly think that it's pathetic that we're doing worse than the entertainment industry when it comes to that topic as a whole. Now, I am, like I said, at a wonderful institution right now, and that's been very supportive of women, and that's absolutely no comment. I'm so happy that I'm at the place I am. And if every place were like that, I wouldn't be saying this right now, but in general, from what I hear from my friends and what I've seen overall in medicine, I feel like entertainment's doing better than us, and that's not okay. I will say one of the encouraging things is when I came back to Maryland after fellowship, we, I had a wonderful mentor who, who said, Mimi, it's time, time to start the women's group. Let's, let's make something happen, and we started with four or five women in kind of a after-school kind of setting in a small room, and now our women's group, the residents are actively involved. They're always looking forward to the next activity for collaboration, for just meet and greet, whatever, for advice. And it's grown exponentially. And the new residents coming in, the new students coming in, thats they actually admitted, they said, this is something we looked for. And that was kind of a, a positive thing for our program. And so I, I do see kind of hope in that arena, too. I, I think it's we're certainly moving in the right direction. Yeah, it's slow. It's probably going to be painful. And there's a lot of old school barriers that need to be broken down from older mentalities in the field of medicine. But, but I, I think there's going to be a turnaround, and I'm excited for it. Did you always want to be a physician when you were younger? Was it always clear to you that that was where you were going to go with your life? And when you told people that you wanted to go to medical school, did you get any pushback? Did anyone try and dissuade you? So I'm Asian. And my mother pretty much growing up said, well, you can be anything you want to be, a doctor or a lawyer, and you probably suck at law. So I kind of had this default profession built into me very early on. I shied away from it in undergrad just because I felt like it was a lot of the, this is what your mother's telling you to do or what your family's telling you to do. But after my circuitous route, I eventually came back to it. And I think having that passion and realizing that you want it for yourself 
made it that much easier to go forward and pursue what you believe in, what you love, what you enjoy. And even though it took me a while to come back to it, it was the, I grew up, I'm going to be a doctor. Actually, I'm, I'm really proud of what I do now. I grew up always wanting to be a pediatrician. And I think maybe because that's a field that's typically dominated by women, I got a lot of positive feedback. And I never actually said that I want to be a doctor when I grew up. When people asked me, I said, nope, I'm going to be a pediatrician from the time I could speak. And I got through most of medical school and I did my pediatrics rotation and thought, I hate this. I hate this more than anything. What am I going to do with my life? And I ended up in a combined pediatric and emergency medicine program on the recommendation of a friend that I bumped into who was in the program. And thank goodness, this turned out to be the perfect career for me. But it was an interesting twist for me to come into medical school having wanted to do something for quite some time and have nothing but positive reinforcement about doing that and then discover that that was just not something that I was going to be happy doing and having to really change gears at the last minute. So out of curiosity, if you had grown up saying, I want to be a vascular surgeon, do you think you would have had that same reinforcement? Or if you were growing up now, how do you think that would be perceived? Pediatrician versus vascular surgeon and a young, an eager young woman. That's a good question. I grew up in a very suburban environment. I think if I said I want to be a vascular surgeon, the answer most of the time would have been, I'm sorry, what? But I do think now if my daughter said I want to be a vascular surgeon, where we live in Los Angeles, most people would be supportive of that. But it's interesting. I read a great article from a friend of mine recently that was entitled something like, Why Do Women Succeed in School and Then Fail in the Workplace? And it was talking a lot about how girls tend to be very perfectionist. Like They assume that if they want to get an A in a class, they need to know 110% of the material on the test, work very hard, and if they're lucky, they'll probably lose some of it on the test and they'll end up with a 90%. On the other hand, many boys get a 90.1%, and they're like, woohoo, I got an A. And that mentality is encouraged, and it works very well in school. And I think it worked actually very well through medical school and residency because people loved that I was that perfectionist and had so much attention to detail when I was helping take care of their patients. It was kind of more when I was on my own that I ended up thinking like, oh, this is hard to survive with this degree of attention to detail in this field. But to that end, I think most people would be supportive because if a little girl in school is like, I want to be a vascular surgeon, they're like, sure, I'm going to encourage this perfectionism. Whereas I think what often ends up happening is the guy's like, I'm going to be a baseball player. And then 10 years down the road, he ends up being the vascular surgeon. <laughs> so I don't know that it's really so much an overt like, oh, girls can't be vascular surgeons. I think that the interplay right now is much more complicated in how we're getting them from point A to point B. So the, the question is, and this really sort of gets to the idea that physicians are, so female physicians, generally speaking, are very responsible, very together, very buttoned up in their persona. These are people that you would trust your car to, your house keys, you know, you let them babysit your kids. So we're very responsible, trustworthy human beings. But everybody has a story about something that they might have done theoretically when they were younger. So did you ever do anything when you were younger that was not straight-laced, that might have gotten you into trouble, whether you got caught or not? Did you ever color outside the lines? Or you always colored inside the lines? 
I am pretty much an inside the line kind of person, but I do have to say, you know how everyone has these buttons where you can say almost anything to us because we're in emergency medicine and we've heard it all, but there are just those few things that people say to you that really annoy you. And for me, one of those hot buttons is when people tell me, oh no, my child is too smart for that. Obviously, we're all really smart people. We made it through emergency medicine residency. We made it through medical school. When I was in college at Georgetown, which is obviously in the middle of DC, I had a lot of different groups of friends. I did very distinct activities for which there was no overlap in the friend group. So I would literally walk on weekends from party to party in the middle of DC completely by myself as I started college at 17, as a 17 year old um, at like two in the morning and not worry about getting bugged or getting kidnapped or anything. And when I think back, I would walk to the Metro, I would take it random places. It was so potentially unsafe, and I am so lucky to be here today, that whenever somebody tells me that their kid is too smart to do something, I think, and sometimes say, you know, I think most people would consider me probably too smart to do this, and yet I did it, and it never occurred to me that it was a stupid decision at the time. Yeah, I can't. Remember all the stupid things I've done. They're probably numerous and probably not worth saying. No, I, I definitely found myself doing things that, that probably weren't the smartest uh, decisions at the time, but it seemed fun. And I, I think that's, I started off as a color in the lines person, and then I went to college at UCLA and uh, eventually found some lines again that I was supposed to stay at. What did you do before you went to medical school? What is this circuitous route that you were talking about? What did you actually do? As soon as I found out during my fourth year of undergrad that I just had to actually extend a little bit, I actually was eligible to study abroad. And my bro thankfully, my brother, he's so just such a wonderful personality and so encouraging. He studied abroad and said, Mimi, you need to do it too. And I said, I can't do it. I'm pre-med. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. But I thought I couldn't until I realized I could. And then I just, I took a year and went and studied in Sweden. I studied animal physiology. I did research projects. I learned Swedish. I learned a lot about vodka and, and ABBA. And after that year, I, I, I played makeup a little bit to, to make up for recommendations, some poor grade decisions in undergrad. And so I ended up doing two years of research and a year of graduate school before going to med school. What are the things that you still struggle with? Because you seem very together. Oh, last week I went and cried, I think, because I just had my second son. And I was at the post office, and I broke down in tears crying because I didn't have an envelope. This poor woman standing in the post office runs out to her car and rummages through her car for an envelope because I'm bawling in the middle of a post office because they closed and the machine wasn't available for me to send an envelope for something that didn't really even matter. But the, the, the emotion of it, the, you're, you're go, go, go so much for so long for so many people that the smallest thing just tips me over the edge and just comes crashing. And thankfully there's a recovery period, but where we can reset and, and start over again. But the amount that we do becomes extremely overwhelming. It's deadlines, it's, we get sick too. And somehow there's never, we don't account for that time where you aren't allowed to be superwoman, where you have to just hole up, crawl into a hole and, and just cry. Tell me a little bit about the the environment that we work in is so high pressure, so go, 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 so always succeed. And all of us obviously have succeeded at a lot of things repeatedly to get to where we are. But how do you deal with some of the little failures, the things day to day that don't go right? Or how have you dealt with maybe something that was a slightly larger failure in your life? How did you get past it? Or how do you get past it? 
you know, it's hard every day. There are things that I say and that I think, oh gosh, I wish that didn't just come out of my mouth. There are times with the kids where I certainly could have chosen a better venue or a better manner in expressing my opinions. Bedtime for me feels like a failure every day because I have so much work piled up that I'm trying to get them to bed quickly. And they're like, can we read another story? And I'm thinking, I'm not going to get to bed till 2 a.m. I have so much work left. No, you can't have another story. So I feel like there are a lot of failures throughout the course of the day. I think Mimi brought up a really good point. Part of minimizing those failures is minimizing the number of things that you have to do that you don't want to do or don't expect to be good at. A lot of the failures at work are sort of me trying to fit into a mold, me trying to do something because someone says that I should do it, not because I love it and not because I'm even good at it. So minimizing those things I think is key. And other than that, just recognizing that children are wonderfully resilient and they're still going to be screaming at me to read them a bedtime story tomorrow night, even if I wasn't up for it tonight. What a gracious thing. It just, it's really a reflection that they want to spend time with you and they enjoy spending time with you. And I, I know when the pressure builds up, when I start yelling at the patients, <laughs> I, I, there was a couple weeks ago, I go in, I was feeling sick. I was feeling terrible. And I, I kind of looked at the patient and I was, I, I didn't exactly say, but I meant, what are you doing here? What do you want? And, and I, I realized very quickly, it's time to take a step back, take a couple deep breaths, reset, because when I'm starting to take it out on the people that I'm supposed to care about the most, whether it's my patients, my family members, my friends, something's going to give. I need to reset. So the question is, how do I reset? I, I actually, I really enjoy traveling. I try and take, steal little moments anytime I can, whether it's setting a date for a Broadway musical, going to a concert, going in residency almost every single month, I manage to get away travel somewhere, get on a plane, do something on average. And, and I thought that was a really important part of things for me to, to stay balanced. I clean my house. I know that sounds crazy. I just, I can't feel like I'm under 8 million things and then I have this ridiculous environment around me. So I try to get through the stuff I need to do, get everything in order, and then I can make plans with a friend or go to one of these conferences and see people that I really enjoy being around and really rejuvenate. But I sort of need to get everything to a controllable level, and then I feel like I can exercise, hang out, do something that's rejuvenating for me. Thank you very much, both of you, for being here and for talking to us on the podcast. I really appreciate everything that you guys shared with us. Thank you for having us. Thank it's you a so lot much of fun. for having it. It was a ton of fun. Hope you have enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website under resources and then publications. Join us again next episode for a new journey through emergency medicine.